0: Well, Lord, we gather together this morning, scattered but united, to honor you and to lift you up and worship you. And Lord, we just ask that you would reveal something to us this morning through your word. Would you open our minds and open our hearts to receive from you so that we can be transformed by you and be more like you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name together this morning. Amen. Well, welcome church. It's good to be with you today. Uh, I am excited to be able to share. I know I've been catching up with Penrith Church over Zoom every couple of weeks, which is awesome. And uh, hello to the rest of you, Mountains and Hawkesbury. It's good to see you. Um, I hope you're doing well. Uh, Next week, we've got Father's Day coming up which is uh, super exciting. We've got a snacks episode that's going to drop uh, next Sunday morning. So get ready and excited for that. It's going to be really cool. Uh, our team has been working so hard at that. And especially to Bethany, great job. Thank you so much. Uh, about to pop with little baby. Um, you know, just on the topic of Father's Day, before I get into the the word this morning, I was putting Neve to bed the other night. And... Um, Thanks, man. And she was talking to me about how she was a little bit afraid. And uh, the shadows on her wall were kind of creeping her out a bit. And I said to her, niece, you don't need to be afraid, hun. I said, God, God is going to protect you. He's going to look after you. And she said, who is God? And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, well, he he made everything, Neef. He created the whole world. And she says, no, he didn't do that. I said, well, where do you think the world came from? Who made the world then? And she said, daddy. And we finished up the conversation and I tucked her in and she went to sleep. But that hit me. Like my four year old thinks that I'm God. My four-year-old considers me as the creator of the world. Like that, that's sort of mind-blowing stuff. And um, fathers, you have such an important role to play. Like, and I don't want to put pressure on anybody, but I want to let you know that what you do matters. Every moment that you spend parenting your kids, reflecting the Christ to your kids matters. Every moment you give them your attention, every moment that you're just present in the room matters to them because we, we see God how we see our dad. And so I'm really excited to be honoring father, fatherhood with you all tomorrow, uh, next week for Father's Day. Awesome. Well, let's get into the Word. You know, a few weeks ago, the Lord prompted me to read James the book of James. And I thought, I like the book of James. I've read that a few times. And uh, heck, I can, I, can, I have even memorized some of the verses in there. And so I, I started to read it and I, I got through and, and at about verse eight, I stopped. And I went, okay, what am I reading? You know how when you just read something, but you don't actually understand, you don't take it in. And so I went back to the start again and I, I read it again. And I got stuck again, and then I read it again. And I started to realize that even though I've memorized some of these verses, I haven't actually truly grasped what it is James was trying to say. And so this morning, I want to share seven verses out of the book of James. I didn't get any further than verse 8. And we're going to look at verse 2 to 8. Because I think these verses share an absolute key insight into uh, how to walk in the kingdom, live in the kingdom of God. And so I've prepared a bit of a clickbait title for this message. I thought it would be uh, funny and and boost ratings. So my message this morning is called, This one key thing is stopping you from getting wisdom from God. So if you're wondering why the YouTube title looked really long, it's because I'm trying a clickbait thing. And it amuses me at least. So let's go to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read through this passage together and then I'll start to break it down for you. It says Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance or perseverance. In all his ways. Let's have a look at these this passage verse by verse and break down what God started to reveal to me as I, I really pondered on it. So verse two and three it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right away that phrase, trials of various kinds, hit me. I just, I'm like, well, that's a nice way to put it. That's another way to say it. everything's falling apart. The world's a mess. I'm struggling on all fronts. I can't do anything. I want to give up. I'm, I'm just about done. Uh, trials of various kinds. Yep, put it, put it lightly. He says, count it joy when you face these things. Count it joy when you struggle count it joy when you are suffering i'm like what (laughs) why james why are you writing this mate like what are you saying and he says well you know that the testing of your faith these trials these troubles they produce steadfastness and i said okay it's one thing to say that but why 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 is it that our struggles and our suffering can produce this godly character of steadfastness or endurance or perseverance in us. Why is that? And I thought about it, and and I think it's because what, what you believe about God and about yourself is going to be tested by your experience. And as these things are tested, as the fire is turned up, Any lies that you believe, anything that's not true or correct about God is going to be burnt up. But God, everything that is true that you believe about him will be proved true. And when, I mean, you can have faith without seeing. I mean, believing without seeing, we've got faith to some extent. But when you've seen, wow, like that changes you. Just like that last song we sung, like, God, you, you'll do it again. I've seen God do it before, and I know he can do it again. Seeing God prove himself true to you is a transforming process that really, really does a work in us. So the testing of our faith is, is a good thing because it produces in us this steadfast nature. It gives us the ability to know through experience who God really is. Let's move on to verse 4. That that makes sense. Verse 2 and 3. Okay. So let's take that. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This word perfect it it means mature it doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything wrong ever and get perfect 100% it means you're maturing you're maturing and being made more complete your identity is being being revealed in you through Christ who you really are and who he really sees you to be see God this is this is the thing This process of our suffering and our troubles and our trials, it produces our real God-given identity in us through this testing of our faith, which means that God deliberately allows you to go through things that suck. God is letting bad things happen to you. God is letting you go through trouble. He's letting you struggle. He's letting you suffer. And for a lot of people, we don't like the idea that God would let that happen. We don't like the idea that God would let us suffer. God, if you're real, you should just deliver me from everything that I struggle with, right? Aren't you supposed to love me? But the truth is, he knows that the very thing that you struggle with is the very thing that will push you back to him. It's the very thing that will reveal uh, who he sees you as and who he really is in you. And that will mature and complete you. God wants you to be mature and complete. He doesn't want you to walk through your life ignorant of who you really are. He doesn't want you to walk through your life ignorant of who He really is. He wants you to know. He wants you to know the truth so you can walk in the truth. Because that's really living. This is living now. <sighs> Haven't sung that in a while. Let's bring it back. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would work with an acoustic it is. Well, maybe. You know, acoustic version in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 or maybe it's 5 I think it's 6 the armor of God and uh, it talks about the shield of faith and I always thought why, why is, this, the, is faith a shield right and I think it's because when the enemy we know his power is lies right so when the enemy throws lies our way it is our faith that will deflect them. But if if our faith, our shield has holes in it because we're lacking the truth in certain areas of our life or we're believing lies that are sabotaging us, then those holes are going to let the enemy's lies come through and hurt us. The darts of the enemy, they're going to impact us. And so God, he he wants us to renew our minds and restore our faith so that we can patch the holes in the shield. And the more holes that are patched in our shield, the more we will be defensive against any work of the enemy. Verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Hang on. This seems like a bit of a change in thought. We've just gone from, you know, uh, being made mature and complete, and we're going to lack in nothing. And then he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... When I first read this, I thought, Oh, yeah, it's the same thing. We're talking about faith. But actually, no, he's he's changed his mind, Jimbo, James. He's, he's a bit of a scatterbrain here, it seems. And he's now talking about wisdom. It's actually a different thing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Wisdom is knowing what to do and how to do it. I think there are a lot of reasons to need wisdom right now I mean God I need to know what I what to do and how to do it do I do I get vaccinated do I not get vaccinated do I send my kids to childcare do I not send my kids to childcare do I uh, how do I navigate my relationships and friendships how do I protect those that I care about what's the best way to do that God Do I post that? Do I not post that? Do I comment on that? Do I not comment on that? There's so many opportunities in our life right now where we need wisdom. God, what do I do? How do I do it? I think we can relate to this. And James says, if you lack that, reveal that to God and ask Him for wisdom. It says... That he gives generously to all without reproach. Do you know what the word reproach means? It means without disappointment or disapproval. When you reveal that you lack something to God, he's not disappointed. He doesn't say, oh, come on, why why, why don't you know what to do? Really? You don't know what to do? Sometimes I say that to my kids, you know. Ramey says, she, I need to go to the toilet. I say... Okay, go to the toilet. No, I can't I can't climb up on the toilet. I'm like, really? <laughs> Hon, you've done it before. I know you can do it. I know you just want me to get up off the chair and go put you on the toilet. God doesn't do that. He's much better father than me. He doesn't, he's not disappointed that you asked. And he's not disapproving. Oh, you should know better than that. He's not disapproving. There's no reproach. God gives generously to everyone who asks for wisdom. This is a really good sign. Like, that's really awesome news. But, James, mate, this sounds awesome. But I can tell you a fair few times where I have asked God for wisdom and I've got nothing. I've received nothing. Like, what's God, what do I do? Crickets. What's going on there? Well, he knew that I was going to ask that. And so in verse 6, we've got a big but, capital B, but. And I just hear the minions laughing every time. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not, listen to this, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you doubt, asking the Lord for wisdom won't help. That's what this says. Because even when he tells you what to do, you will not have the power to do it you'll be unstable, you're conflicted, you're confused, you're uncertain. You won't step out and do that thing that God told you to do because you're double-minded. There's, there's confusion inside. You're driven and tossed to and fro by every little bit of information that gets thrown at you because you don't have faith. It's because we are doubtful. The good news is it doesn't say that God won't give to you It actually says you won't receive anything from the Lord. So when you ask for wisdom, God generously will give. But if you are doubtful, if you have holes in your shield of faith, you will not be able to receive what He is giving you. Because you're unstable in all your ways. I relate to that sometimes. Do you ever just... You're just having one of those days and you're like, I am unstable in all of my ways. (laughs) They're the words to describe it. I just, I'm making mistakes here and there and I'm cutting my finger making dinner and I'm spilling boiling water on the children and I'm doing this and that and whatever it is that's stressing you out. You just feel like, I'm so stressed. I just make mistakes. I just, I'm unstable. I'm just, I'm a ticking time bomb ready to just melt down and explode. I felt like that often. This is a real relatable piece of scripture because i think we can all understand this we know this feeling but this is the hard part is that because we don't understand who god is and who he sees us as we won't be able to receive the wisdom that may or may not get us out of these tough situations so what are we to do i'm sure you've felt triggered when when God has asked you to do something before. Maybe you've got this prompting that you need to go and step out and talk to your neighbor, but you've just got all this anxiety around it. And so you're um in an R and I'm in an R and then you just never do it. Or maybe God said something to you and it's just confused you. You're just left baffled. Like, what does that mean? I just I'm so confused. I just don't understand. I don't God, I thought you told me this, but I don't I can't make sense of it. Maybe you, like me, have asked for wisdom and you just haven't received it. It's because you're double-minded. We are double-minded sometimes in different areas of our life. We know what we need to do, but we just can't seem to do it. We know what we need to change, and we can't change it. It's because we've got conflicting beliefs inside. We doubt. So what, what are we to do? So I I can't receive wisdom from God because I doubt. How do I fix that? Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, let me give you a hint. It's not through summoning up more faith. Faith cannot be achieved through effort. I'm afraid that I've seen a bit of preaching over the last few years across the internet church, let's say that that talks about faith as though it's something you can muster up through effort. Faith, it's, it, that's not what it is. It's absolutely not that. It, it says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't. There's nothing in between for us. We don't do any work of that. He's the author and the one who completes it. Faith comes from the Lord only. We don't muster it up. And so let me try and help help you understand what what I think's been uh, revealed to me, which is that our beliefs kind of have two components. We've got the head and the heart. Or for those of you who are a bit more scientific or psychological, you've got your conscious mind that you're aware of, and then the subconscious part of you, which is something like 95% of who you are, the one that drives the car when you don't remember how you got to work, that's that part of you. So you've got these two conflicting parts, your mind or your soul or your will or whatever you want to call them. Let's just say head and heart. Make it simple. And one of them can believe one thing, but the other might not believe that same thing. And so you're double-minded. There's like two minds. You've got your head belief, which is something that you intellectually understand. You intellectually agree, yes, that is true. But then you've got your heart belief, which is that deep down, it doesn't really seem like it is true. It doesn't, it doesn't quite feel true to me. My experience has told me that that's not quite true. I know in my head, yes, God is going to supply all my needs. I know he's going to look after me. Yes, I believe that. I agree in my head that is true. I have no reason to doubt that. Yet, deep down, when the rubber hits the road and that big bill comes in, that I wasn't expecting, I panic. It doesn't feel true to me that God's going to look after me in this moment. It feels like I've got to do something else to get me out of this mess. That's what we're talking about, a conflicting belief between our head and our heart. Sometimes these things are aligned. So for example, I have a belief that I'm a smart person. I'm, I'm intelligent, and I can learn just about anything that I put my mind to and I believe that with my head and my heart I know intellectually you know I've done pretty well in my life and I've I guess proved that I'm smart but I also just feel like that's true I can tell you that I feel like I'm an intelligent person without any doubt without any anxiety or panic there's just complete peace because there's balance between my head and my heart about this thing I believe that is true to my core But with other things, that is not true. For example, in my head, I also believe that Macca's is crap food. And what I mean is calorie rich and processed, right? C-R-A-P, it's just an acronym. It's, it's, It's crap food and there is never a good reason to need to eat it, right? I believe that. In my head, McDonald's, there's never a good reason to need to eat that. But I can tell you, in my heart, <laughs> sometimes I'm calling, I'm calling for that Big Mac, you know? I know, you feel me. You're like, some, There's something in me that doesn't quite agree with that, which is why even I think last night, yeah, last night I got Maccas for dinner. We, we just got in the car. Kids were getting Happy Meals. I just felt like we needed it. Even though I can tell you that was a dumb decision. We shouldn't have eaten that stuff. There's never, there's never a reason to eat McDonald's. But I still do it. Because I'm double-minded about McDonald's. Honestly, I am. There's a, there's a conflict. Probably some part of me thinks I need it. I just, it's going to make me feel better. It's going to help me relax. It's, it's a treat. I need to treat myself. Whatever it is, right? And I'm working on that. I'll figure it out. But when we're aligned in our head and our heart, we've got faith. When we're disjointed, disunited, dis when we're uh, unbalanced, that's when we have doubt double-mindedness. So can you change your beliefs? Can you change that stuff? That's the question, right? Because if we could, if we could get alignment between our head and our heart in who we understand God is, then we'll be able to receive wisdom whenever we need it, generously from the Lord without reproach. I think we all want that, right? Well, I know that you can change your beliefs because, so I, I've grown up as a kid teenager even young adult and I hated peanut butter I hated it like disdain I could not it's like the Grinch you know hate 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 double hate loathe entirely like that was I just couldn't stand peanut butter Judah loved it and he would do the Evil thing of using his peanut butter knife first and then dipping it in the honey or the jam. And I'd be like, how dare you contaminate my toast topping with your disgusting poo? I honestly treated peanut butter like it was poo. I couldn't deal with the smell of it. I, I didn't want to touch it. Like I was, my disgust sensitivity was through the roof. Have you seen Inside Out, the green one, like yeah, she was just like knocking on my door like that's disgusting, don't even touch it. I just hated peanut butter. I don't know why. My taste buds didn't like it. I tried it. It was disgusting to me. And, and, and for sure, that was belief-based because somewhere along the, the line between then and now, and I think it was something to do with, you know, I got really interested with, like, nutrition and health when I was, I don't know, five years ago, 23, something like that. I just, I just started to get interested in it, so I thought I'd research. And I discovered that peanut butter is, like, it's king. This, this thing, it's it's got brilliant protein for you, healthy protein, healthy fats, it's really good, calorie-rich, and it's like it's almost like a low-consequence delicious food. And I learned all this amazing stuff about peanut butter. I'm like, I thought it was just like Nutella, you know. Nutella, that ain't healthy. Peanut butter, it is healthy, especially that 100% peanut stuff you can get without any salt or sugar added. And, uh, and, and somewhere along this line, I thought, you know, I'm gonna give peanut butter another go. And because my understanding had changed, my, my belief in peanut butter had changed. And now I love peanut butter. I love it. I'll eat it every week. I'll eat it often. I'll smear tablespoons of it on my toast. Like, I love peanut butter. And so there's, there was, there's been a real belief change in me somewhere, somehow, so I can tell you, beliefs can change. It's good news. And all the vegans said amen (laughs) in fact everyone i don't think anyone disagrees that peanut butter is a good a good thing maybe the anaphylaxis once (laughs) if you're allergic i'm sorry no i'm not having a go at you at all so how do we change them then well i think in this passage james sort of he kind of flipped it around he gave us the solution before he gave us the problem In the second half, he says, look, you know, if you want wisdom, ask from God. But if you doubt, you can't receive it because you're you're double-minded and unstable. But in the first part, he says that your trials and your testing and your suffering, that tests your faith will help mature and complete you. It will help to mend your shield of faith. It will help to align your head and your heart. What if I said to you, you did not decide to believe in Jesus? Controversial. You did not decide to believe in Jesus. You decide whether or not you're going to follow him, but you did not decide to believe. Someone or something convinced you that that was true. You didn't do it on your own. Someone or something. It may have been a family member or a friend or some information on the internet. Or it could have been God himself convinced you that he was real. But you, and, but you didn't choose to believe. You were convinced. You were persuaded that that was real. And then you can choose whether or not you're going to follow him. I think this, is, this, this might be the born Again experience. It's when fundamentally your belief changes. And it begins to express itself through your life and outwork itself through your life. Think about it. If, you, if you're still skeptical, think about it. Can you just stop believing that two plus two equals four? Just try. Try for a second. Just try and stop believing that that's true. You can't. Because you've been convinced, probably through your primary school math teacher or someone, that two plus two equals four. In fact, you probably did it with your fingers and you proved to yourself without a doubt that two and two is four. You can't unbelieve that. You were persuaded and now that is fundamentally the truth to you. So to be persuaded by something, you need two things. Number one, you need to trust the source of that information. So you need to trust the person, that told you, or the, the article that you read, or whatever it is, you need to trust the source from where that information or that belief is coming from. And the second thing is, you need to consider that that source has a higher authority on this topic than you do. You gotta believe that. You know, if you go to your dentist, and they tell you, you must floss every single day, and it, it's, it's essential that you do that, you and, and provided you trust your dentist, maybe that's a bad example, maybe people don't trust their dentist, but provided you trust your dentist, you know that they have a higher authority when it comes to dental care than you do. And so you'll be persuaded by what they tell you, right? If that same dentist tries to coach you on your backswing drive in golf, chances are you're gonna be like, okay, mate, cool, right. But you don't know how I play golf. You, you don't have authority on how I do my backswing Just tell me about teeth because that's what you've got authority in. And don't tell me about my golf swing, right? So we need these two things. We need trust and authority. Trust in the source, the person, and authority that they have better knowledge of that thing than you do. This is why we can't just fake it till we make it. You can't just keep telling yourself over and over, I'm not a screw up. 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 You can say that 50,000 times. If you believe that you're a screw up, fundamentally in here, you can't convince yourself out of it because you don't have any more authority than you. Maybe something traumatic happened to you and someone told you, hey, yeah, you're, you're a screw up. And in that moment, they were someone you trusted. They had authority and they were in that situation and they saw you make a mistake. And you took on that belief. I'm a screw-up. And you've carried that belief. And no matter what you've done to try and get rid of it, you can't. Because you don't have any more authority than what you had in the moment when you took on that belief. However, this is the cool thing about God. We know He's the authority. He's the King authority of all things. Name above all names. King above all kings. Lord above all lords and he was there in that moment between you and your uncle when he said you're a screw-up God was there too and when you identify that you actually do even though you know you're not but something in you it does seem it feels like I am a screw-up when you identify that belief that source of the double-mindedness and you present that to God, He can say, hey, guess what? You're not a screw up. And it sounds so simple and obvious. But when your mom said, no, but you're not a screw up, honey. And when your friends said, oh, you're not a screw up, honey. None of them had the authority because they weren't there. But God was. And He knows. He has all authority. And when He says to you, hey, you're not a screw up, you will change your mind. You will be instantaneously convinced Of the truth. I'm not a screw-up. I'm not a screw-up. It sounds so silly but ah that doesn't even feel true anymore because God has persuaded your heart to believe something new. This, I believe, is the process through which you get rid of doubt. It's the process of identifying a lie or a lack of truth that we have in our belief system Presenting it to God and saying, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know about this thing? What do you want me to be convinced of? Convince me of the truth, God, because only you can. And the Holy Spirit does his work and brings unity to your head and your heart. And now you can say, God, all right, I now know who I am. I know who you see me as. I know who you are. What are we doing? Tell me what to do. Let's go, you know? So let me give you three questions to help you on that journey because it can be hard. It can be really tricky to figure out what we really believe. Sometimes there are red herrings, you know. Let me give you some questions. The first thing is you need to pay attention to what your emotions are saying. Now, I'm not saying do what your emotions tell you to do, okay? I'm not saying that. But pay attention to what they are saying because when we are double-minded it shows up in our emotions instantly that anxiety that panic or that anger and frustration or the the sadness and overwhelming depression those feelings are telling you that you're double-minded they're telling you that you lack faith you lack the truth and so what do you do if you lack faith you go to the source of the faith you go to the author and you start to unpack and you go okay this is the first question how am i feeling How am I really feeling? Not just, oh, I'm just having a bad day, or oh, I've just, you know, I've got a a dopamine imbalance. Let me tell you, and I know, look, you're probably not gonna be convinced because I don't have authority in this in in terms of my studies, but I can tell you, you are not a, a, a machine with hormone imbalances. You're so much more complicated than that. You're not just someone who was unlucky to have the genetics of a depressed person. That's not true. God can absolutely turn everything around. And the problem that we have is not a a dopamine addiction or a dopamine deficiency. The problem we have is double-mindedness. Because if you knew the truth, if you knew exactly who God was and exactly who He sees you as, if you knew the real truth, you would have no reason to be depressed. The same goes for addiction. You know, these things that we can't break out of. It's not because you're a stupid monkey who has a dopamine addiction. That's just such an oversimplification of the thing. That's not the truth. The truth is that you have a very good reason in your beliefs for why you need that thing. I, you know, it's because, well, chocolate helps me not feel overwhelmed. Maybe that's your belief. I need chocolate because it helps me feel not overwhelmed. On the surface, oh, I just like chocolate. Oh yeah, I just, I'm just, i just addicted to chocolate. You know, we brush it off. But if we really say, um, hang on a second. What am I really feeling when I need chocolate? Oh, I'm feeling, something in me is feeling rejected. I, And I feel like I really need this thing. Why do I feel like I need this thing? We'll find, and I can guarantee you, every addiction you have, of course, gets reinforced by... The mechanisms in our hormones. But fundamentally, you have an addiction because you have a need for it. You believe you're smart. You're very smart. Your mind knows exactly what it's doing, and it knows that that nice thing solves the problem. And so, what we need to do is identify our lie, bring it to God, and now we're released from our addiction. I don't need that thing anymore. I've experienced this actually in my life and i know many others who've experienced this exact thing so how am i really feeling and then we say why why do i really feel that way or maybe another way you could say it is why am i really doing what i'm doing you know maybe maybe you're going to search a website that you shouldn't maybe you should just stop why am i really doing this ah it's because i got an addiction no 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 why what was I feeling before that's causing me to feel like I need to do this right now? Oh, I was feeling rejected earlier. Why do I want to search this up? Oh, it's because, it's because I won't feel rejected. I don't get rejected by this. Ah, now you know why you do it. The same can go for anything. How am I really feeling? Why am I feeling that way? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And once you've figured out what you believe... This is the the key. It's God, what do you want me to know? Lord, I believe that I'm worthless. What do you want me to know? You've got the authority, I trust you. What do you want me to know? And he will convince your heart. Because I know in your head, I know in your head, you read your scripture, you know what the truth is intellectually. That's not the problem. The problem is double-mindedness. But the Lord will restore that. It's what He does. It's who He is. And it's powerful. As I finish up this morning, I wanted to leave you with a a Scripture verse you would all know. But I wanted to give you a bit of a different take on it. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 3. We're just going to read the first part of it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And why does he do all of that? For his name's sake. Why would God want to restore you? Why would he want to fix your doubt and double mindedness? Why would he want to give you wisdom? Do you know why? For his name's sake. This His name is really interesting because if you understand the culture of this time and place, it's not talking about the name, you know, the thing that you fill out on a form to say who you are or the the name on your credit card. No, 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 no. This is the same name in the Hebrew that is in the Ten Commandments of you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And that doesn't mean don't swear. That means... When you take on the name of someone who has authority, a king, when you bear their name, you are their representative. So that Ten Commandment is do not represent the Lord in vain. You are how the world can see God through you. Don't represent Him in vain. That's why the that Ten Commandment was there. And in this verse, in Psalm 23, the reason God wants to restore you is because you are His advertisement to the world about how good He is. That's why he wants to make your life good that's why he wants to fix your emotional pain that's why he wants to restore you because you represent him you are his representative here on earth and so he doesn't want you to walk around ignorant and naive and broken yes you'll still end up in heaven and he'll still welcome you and it'll be wonderful at the end of your life but there's but he doesn't want to just restore you when you die he wants to restore you today Because you represent him here and now. And when God's goodness is overflowing out of your life and you're just transformed and everyone can see it, guess what? Other people can find him too, through you. So so this is not a selfish thing for you to want God to restore you. This is is actually the way that others will find him. As he mends our broken hearts and he he fixes our double-mindedness, he transforms us into who we were always meant to be. we just got to humble ourselves and submit to the process. Let me pray for you and and we'll close this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you would give without reproach, that you would just give generously to those who ask and that you would help us to find clarity in our double-mindedness. Lord, would you help us reflect on on what's really going in on inside. Help us understand what we really truly believe about ourselves and about you. And Lord, help us by convincing our heart of the truth so that we can walk in the kingdom, so that we can be your representative so that others can see how good you are, so that others can come to meet you too. Lord, be with us in this crazy time. Thank you for giving us wisdom to learn how to walk it. And we love you in your precious name. Amen. Awesome. Well, have a great week, church. And uh, I really am excited about celebrating Father's Day across the nation with you next week. Have a fantastic week ahead. God bless.